I have just three verses to read to you. So I want to read them a little differently today. When I was working with uh, storage technology and we needed something translated, we used people to translate into other languages. And I learned that in English, what we say in a certain space may take 16% or more space for the message in, say, Spanish or another language. Sometimes speakers pause. And one of the things I, I, I try to do when I hear a speaker pause is say, does this underscore something that was just read? And it's that kind of, of attitude toward the scripture this morning that I'd like to, uh, to show you. Would you stand with, we, with me as we pray, as we read this scripture? The topic is fasting, and the subject is prayer. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you fast, when you fast, put oil in your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Now in all of this scripture, in all of these three verses, here comes the promise. If I had cut to the chase, I'd already be there. Your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Will reward you. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. Thank you for emphasizing the when you fast, too. <laughs> um, you already know from the scripture that he just shared with you what the topic of this morning's message is going to be. I think um, the topic of fasting is maybe a little bit like the topic of money. You know, people are going to say, oh, no, pastor's going to talk about that. And... Um, you know, I will admit, it's not something that we probably talk about from the pulpit very often, and maybe not enough. And I will admit to you that I'm a lousy faster. And uh, what I prepared and will be sharing with you this morning is just as much for me as it is for you. Um, mostly when I fast, it's by accident. It's not, that would not be considered a true fast. It happened yesterday. We got up, and Juliet and I were kind of looking at our day and doing the, the uh, memorial service. And we had a couple of pieces of toast and basically got ready and came and got busy. And, and then I had to be in my office while the rest of you were in the um, fellowship hall sharing the, the snacks there together. And so I didn't get anything to eat till dinner time. And so I fasted by accident. Uh, but, um, again, that's not what true fasting is about. We're going to talk about that a little more. How many of you are Olympics 
fans, fans of the Olympics. Me too. I, I, uh, all self-discipline goes out the window when uh, the Olympics come around because you know how they do. They'll, they'll have some prime time Olympics and then the late news comes on. Then they have the late night stuff, you know, that they didn't show earlier. Well, I have a tendency to stay up and watch that, so I'm bleary-eyed for two weeks because um, I'm watching the Olympics. Uh, preparing to compete in the Olympic Games is really serious business. The people who compete spend years in training. And in fact, for many of them, it, it becomes basically their whole life. Day after day, they, it, they engage in these incredible training routines. And this requires a, a, a tremendous level of discipline in almost every area of their lives. If you've ever read maybe articles written about Olympic athletes, you know, they just kind of have to put everything else that would be a part of their lives on the shelf for a while. They don't, they don't go out and have fun with their friends. It affects how they eat. It affects how they sleep. All those kinds of things. And they do this in hopes of being the best for a given moment in time at their chosen sport or event in an attempt to win a gold medal. Well, like Olympic athletes, there are some very important disciplines that are part of the Christian life as well. And the prize we seek is much greater than the relatively momentary satisfaction of winning a gold medal. Um, prayer is one of those spiritual disciplines that is to be practiced by every Christian and one that I is certainly practiced in this church body. Um, but there are other disciplines as well, and we're going to touch on one of those this morning. You know, there, be, before we go there, we all, uh, or many of you are aware that there are some things that we have been praying about uh, for some time now. Uh, my wife does a great job of leading the music on Sunday morning. She doesn't want that to be her permanent job. <clears throat> so since uh, Curtis and Jindy left, what, back in August, we've been praying about that. Someone who could come and be uh, our music worship leader. Uh, we know that when we look around our congregation, the average age is, uh, well, I'm not sure, but it would be considered older. Um, we've been praying about children and teens in our church and younger families. Um, in fact, one of the prayers we've been praying specifically is that God would bring to us um, young middle-aged couples and their children and teens who are spiritually mature and could jump right in and, and kind of get in the harness with us and, and, and feel called of God to do that right here. At Longmont Church of the Nazarene. Yeah. Um, but it seems, anyway, that we're just not seeing much movement in those areas at this point. And over Christmas, um, I was asking myself, you know, God, come on. How about my timing on this, huh? You know, this is, should have happened already, don't you think? I mean, do you ever have those kind of conversations with God? I mean, when, you know, when are we going to see some of these things begin to happen? 
Why aren't we seeing answer to these prayers? And I know, and I've already mentioned this, part of it is sometimes God's timing isn't our timing. In fact, most of the time, it seems, God's timing isn't our timing. Um, and there's the issue of spiritual opposition. There are things happening in the realm. Of the, does Satan want us to be a church that's making a difference in people's lives for the sake of Jesus and the kingdom? No. So in the realms of the spiritual, there's war being waged that, you know, on, in our, at our physical level, our, that our senses don't detect. But I think there's something maybe that we need to do that could help us in this regard. This passage of scripture that, that Gail read for us this morning, um, in my Bible, there's a subheading that says fasting right over that, those few verses that he read. I don't know in your Bible, but there's a preceding, some preceding paragraphs that there's a subheading over too. What's it say there? Do you have that in your Bible? Prayer. 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 So there's this section of scripture on prayer, and just following that, there's a section of scripture on fasting. You know, um, Often in the scripture, you see those two things connected to one another, prayer and fasting. I remember growing up in the church, prayer and fasting. There were times of prayer and fasting. Um, <clears throat> that, that connection reminds me of something, something called, do we have that picture? Can you bring up the picture for me? <clears throat> Does anybody know what an atlatl is? Hey, we have a few people who know. I know Bernice knows because I told her this week. I said, you can raise your hand when I ask that question. Did you raise your hand, Bernice? Come on. Oh. This, um, see, there's a, there's a spear, and that stick that um, is holding the spear is an atlatl. An atlatl is essentially a stick with a handle on one end and a hook or a socket that engages a light spear or dart on the other. And the flipping motion of the atlatl propels a light spear much faster and farther than it could be thrown by hand. You've just added a, an extra length of lever there. Gail says yes, so I'm getting my physics right. <clears throat> um. The relationship between prayer and fasting, I think, is like the relationship between the atlatl and the spear. The spear is a very effective weapon all by itself. But when you combine it with the atlatl, you can throw it harder and faster. It becomes an even more effective weapon. Prayer itself is a powerful weapon. But when you combine it with fasting, it can become even more powerful. Oh, that's what it's going to take. So let me define fasting for you this morning. Do we have that? I think we've got a definition there somewhere. That is not the definition. We're not done yet. There we go. Chad's playing with me back here. <laughs> Fasting is, tempor is temporarily and voluntarily denying self of normal or enjoyed activities for the purpose, 
Here it is, of earnestly seeking God. And go ahead and leave that up for a moment, Chad, if you would, so people have time to write that down if they want to do so. The New Testament assumes fasting. Um, in, the, in, the, in this passage that, that Gail read for us this morning, we find these words two times. When you fast. Okay? When you fast. I did quite a bit of reading about this, and they say, well, you can't really call that a command of Jesus, but it is something that it's assumed followers of Jesus Christ will do. That's kind of what the commentators say. Well, that's not really command. Jesus isn't saying, okay, you must fast. But he does say, when you fast, so it's assumed that that's something as followers of Christ we will do. Um, and then in, in Matthew 9.15, Jesus is speaking again and he says, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's been taken from us. He's in heaven now. And then we will fast. Because that was a point where the Pharisees were saying, hey, wait a minute, John's disciples fast. How come your disciples don't fast? And this was Jesus' answer. Um, again, uh, as I said earlier, fast, talking about fasting may be one of those people, one of those subjects people would receive with the same enthusiasm as talking about money. I don't know. But I want to, uh, I want to talk about, um, just some things that have been said by known Christian figures through history regarding fasting. John Wesley said this. Some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason. Others have utterly disregarded it. He's saying you can place too much emphasis on it. You can ignore it entirely. Matthew Henry said, Fasting is a laudable practice, and we have reason to lament that it is generally neglected among Christians. (laughs) We are good eaters, aren't we? I mean, we talk about that. Well, we have great potlucks. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I wonder whether we have ever fasted. I wonder whether it has even occurred to us that we ought to be considering the question of fasting. The fact is that this whole subject seems to have dropped right out of our lives and right out of our whole Christian thinking. So it would seem that these authors feel like maybe there hasn't been the emphasis on this spiritual discipline that there should be. You know that everyone of importance in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, practice fasting. Here's a short list. And really, this is a short list. Moses, King David, Elijah, Queen Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Daniel, John the Baptist's disciples, Anna the prophetess, Paul, Barnabas, the Roman soldier Cornelius, and Jesus himself. All practiced fasting. When Jesus taught on fasting in the passage we read today, twice again he said, when you fast, not if you fast. And so again, Jesus assumed that his disciples would 
would practice this discipline in their lives. And we see evidence that it was certainly practiced by the Apostle Paul and also certain churches in the New Testament. Acts 13, verses 2 and 3. Prophets and teachers in Antioch were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Acts 14, 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in the churches having prayed with fasting. In both the Old and New Testaments, then, we see examples of both corporate groups of people and individuals fasting. You know, John Wesley sought to revive the teaching of the Dodecky. You know what that is? It's a... The, the, the deducky is a, that's kind of a strange word, isn't it? Go ducks. No, that's not what it is about. It's a, it, they were non-canonical writings. In other words, they weren't included in our scripture. They were non-canonical writings attributed to the apostles to be taught to the Gentiles concerning life and death, church order, Fasting, baptism, prayer, all those things that, that are concerned with the Christian life. And, and Wesley was trying to restore the teaching uh, from the, the Didache. And so he urged early Methodists to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. And he felt so strongly about this matter that he refused to ordain anyone into the Methodist ministry who did not fast these two days a week. That's how strongly he felt about fasting. So, let's talk about reasons for fasting then. Why why do we fast? Well, fasting can increase our hunger for God. Fasting can increase our hunger for God. John Piper writes in his book, A Hunger for God, If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied, It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. This is convicting, isn't it? God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry And to say with some simple fast, this much, O God, I want you. Did you get that? Another reason for fasting, it reminds us that we can get by with, without most things in our lives for a time. But we cannot get by without God. I don't know if we always really believe that. See, the, the first and main purpose of fasting is to draw closer to God. In his book on disciplines, Richard Foster says that our stomach is like a spoiled child, and spoiled children do not need indulgence, they need discipline. As, as Christians, we are not to be controlled by our stomachs, but controlled by the Spirit of God. So there's some discipline involved in that process, isn't there? Another reason, fasting is is spiritual training in self-control, which really relates to the one I just mentioned to you. 
1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. In the New Living Translation, that verse reads this way. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. See, out of all the spiritual disciplines, fasting is most like physical exercise. It is both physical and spiritual, and it builds our faith muscles so that we can withstand the bigger contests that come our way. Another reason, fasting can be earnest prayer. Many people fast when they are desperate for God to answer their prayers. Uh, my maternal grandmother was uh, four foot ten. Talk about tiny people. And I think she weighed 90 pounds or something like that. And she wasn't as slight. As Alta. But I remember her, um, just as a child in her home, talking about times in her life when there were urgent things happening and that she fasted for days at a time. For days at a time. And then she always had stories about how God answered those prayers. Fasting can be earnest prayer. Many people fast when they're desperate for God to answer their prayers. The greater the problem, the greater our desire to show God we need Him to work. We can demonstrate that desire, that passion, that desperation by fasting as we pray. But we need to remember this. Here's a caution, because sometimes I think um, we might have this kind of mindset. Remember, fasting is not some kind of spiritual hunger strike that compels God to do our bidding. It's not, we cannot spiritually twist arms, God's arm, to do what we want Him to do. The Israelites got this wrong in Isaiah 58 when they said, Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? (laughs) See, they were fasting for all the wrong reasons. Always remember, again, that fasting is not some sort of spiritual arm twisting that compels God to act or do something that we want Him to do. So, we then, it's important for us then to examine our motives. Why are we doing this? Edith Schaefer in The Life of Prayer writes, Is fasting ever a bribe to get God to pay more attention to our petitions? No. A thousand times no. It is simply a way to make clear that we sufficiently reverence the amazing opportunity to ask help from the everlasting God To choose to put aside and concentrate on worshiping, asking forgiveness, and making our requests known, considering His help more important than anything we could do ourselves in our own strength and with our own ideas. In other words, God, I am serious about this. 
So, our fasting then needs, first of all, to be centered on God. I already mentioned that Anna the prophetess fasted. The Scripture says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Her focus, she was in the temple, her focus was on God. That's why she was doing these things. <coughs> Zechariah 7, 5. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the, and in the seventh for these 70, 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? <clears throat> our fasting must be done under God's direction and we must have our eyes fixed on Him. Our intention should be to glorify our Father in Heaven. And by the way, unlike the way the Pharisees practiced fasting so that everybody would know that they're doing it, Remember, they look sad and somber and downtrodden and half-starved. If a Pharisee could ever look half-starved, I don't know. But we're supposed to do this for God. And we're supposed to do it in secret. No one else needs to know. Now, there are times when people may find out. You know, the ladies' lunch is planned this week and somebody attends but they don't eat and... People are kind of wondering why, and you may have to tell them, well, I've chosen, you know, to fast right now. There are times like that, but most of the time, it says God gives us direction as we seek His face. Nobody else needs to know about it, and you made a good emphasis as you read that scripture, what is done in secret, then God will reward. So, Another reason to fast is to depend on God alone. We need to learn to do that. We, so often we depend on our own resources. Fasting reveals, and Foster says this in the spiritual, his book on spiritual discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful, wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. <laughs> We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. And then God can skim them off. <clears throat> Jesus said, but it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So fasting then is part of our commitment to praying. By fasting, we are bringing a note of urgency to our praying. We are coming to God and physically demonstrating to Him and ourselves how important this issue is to us. And we all know the expression, actions speak louder than words. Arthur Wallace writes, Fasting is calculated to bring a note of urgency and importunity into our praying and to give force to our pleading in the court of heaven. It's the addle 
The man who prays with fasting is giving heaven notice that he is truly in earnest. Not only so, but he is expressing his earnestness in a divinely appointed way. This is a way God approves for you to express your earnestness. He is using means that God has chosen to make his voice heard on high. And as we do this, then it reminds us who ultimately sustains us. I've already quoted what Jesus said about man does not live by bread alone. Colossians 1.17 states that in Christ all things hold together. By abstaining from food, one feasts on the Word of God and is nourished by it. And it helps us bring balance into our lives. How, how often do the non-essentials of our lives take control? <clears throat> how often do we want things we don't need? All the time. How often do things other than God, how do things other than God, how, how, how often do we allow these things to control us? Fasting helps us keep the natural desires of our human selves in check and balanced with our spiritual selves. So, reasons for fasting. Let's talk about fasting in the Bible for a moment. Biblical fasting always centers on spiritual purposes. The Apostle Paul fasted often. And he speaks of that. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. In the book of Esther, go gather, all, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink. That's kind of unusual. That's a, a, a total fast. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So there was a total fast that we might call an extended fast. Daniel 9.3 So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. Daniel was... Um, thinking about the reasons that his people were in exile and praying to God about those things with fasting. Daniel 10.3, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So that was a partial fast. He eliminated certain things from his diet. Second Chronicles verse 20, Excuse me, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meonites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. <clears throat> some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. This was a national fast. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. 
And then Joel 2.15, Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Fasting in the Bible. And there are many, many more examples that you could cite. Quickly, some how-tos. And by the way, again, this is an individual thing. Um, If you fast, when you fast, how you fast. And again, all, all, all fasting in the food is a food fast. And some were... Some fasts are all-day fasts. Some are partial fasts, like Daniel was mentioned in the book of Daniel. Um, an example, all meat. All, well, have you heard of uh, groups? Uh, I know my daughter's church did this when she attended uh, City Bible in Portland. The month of January, the entire church together did what they called the Daniel fast. And it was a, a partial fast. They eliminated, uh, eliminated all meat and animal products, all dairy products, all sweeteners, all leavened bread, all refined and processed foods, all deep-fried foods, all solid fats, and beverages other than water. And some of you are saying, that doesn't leave anything. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about vegetables, basically. Um, a partial fast. Or maybe a meal a day. Or maybe, again, something like, well, I'm not going to eat desserts, I'm going to eliminate meat or processed foods from my diet, something like that. Then there's the extended fast, and I I gave you a scriptural example of that already. Um, You know, two, three days a week. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Extended fasts. These are all food fasts of some kind. Then there's the activity fast. That's kind of a modern day thing, I think. You know, um, you might, you might, you hear about activity fast sometimes during Lent. You know, I'm going to give up this. I'm going to give up time on the computer. I'm going to give up this hobby. I'm going to give up television. I'm going to give up social media. I'm going to give up this certain recreation that I like to participate in. That's an activity fast. There's a sleep fast. We called it watching and praying. Remember that term? And that happened. I remember my parents talking about all-night prayer meetings. I used to say, what? All night? It's a sleep fast. And then for marriage only, because Paul talks about that, a sexual intimacy fast. And let me add this. If you're involved in sexual activity outside of marriage, then abstaining from sexual intimacy is obedience, not fasting. Just thought I'd throw that in. Here's what Paul says. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And just an additional thought here. In some traditions, the fast does not include Sundays as they are considered feast days and celebrate the living Christ. So Sundays are not fasting days, but rather to be met with worship, celebration, and acknowledging that Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death. And that decision is up to you. It may depend on what you are fasting. 
J. Oswald Sanders in Prayer Power Unlimited writes, Fasting is not a legalistic requirement, but a spontaneous reaction under special circumstances. There are godly and prayerful people who have found fasting a hindrance rather than a help. Some are so constituted physically that we cannot fast. I know there are people on medications. You have to take food with those medications. There are circumstances like that. Some are so constituted physically that the lack of a minimum amount of food renders them, renders them unable to concentrate in prayer. There is no need for, to be in such bondage. Let them do what most helps them to pray. So, are there benefits from fasting? Yes, there are. Number one, it puts our relationship with God front and center. That's who we're focused. Remember that God is supposed to be the focus. That's the primary uh, reason we fast. Focus on God. The second thing is it reveals those things that control us. And food may be one of those things. Again, Jesus said, man does not live by... On bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he said again in John chapter 4, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We're nourished in other ways, aren't we? Another benefit, it helps us keep our balance in life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.12 Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. <clears throat> in fact, in 1 Corinthians 9.27, he says, No, I beat my body and make it my slave. Not a slave to food. Oh, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Another benefit is it intensifies our prayer commitment. I mean, you have to be committed to, to pray and fast, don't you? I do. It, another benefit, it develops some self-discipline. I mean, that is a disciplined thing to say, I'm going to deny myself this. Just like those Olympians who deny themselves things that they could be participating in in their lives, but they have a goal in mind. Another benefit, it helps us gain victory over sinful habits and weaknesses. And that relates really closely to the self-discipline thing. In fact, one of the spirit, fruits of the Spirit is, is self-control, is it not? Which helps us gain victory over sinful habits and weaknesses. And then finally, it will bring answers that we might not see otherwise. <clears throat> and we need some answers, don't we? We need some answers. So, I presented my case. 
The rest is up to you. To what God tells you, what you need to do about this, and then how, how obediently you put that into practice. And I try, we're going to keep praying. And maybe some of you have been fasting. I didn't preach this because I thought, well, there's probably nobody fasting out there. There probably are some of you fasting. But I think some of these things are good reminders to us of, of, of the things that, that God has told us we should be doing as followers of Jesus Christ. And like the addle I really believe that if we add this spiritual system of uh, discipline of fasting to our prayers, we might sing things more powerful. That might be the thing that brings the breakthrough that we've been looking for. Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today that Your Word is relevant to us right now, today, where we live and to our circumstances and situations. And I will admit, you know, I don't enjoy fasting. But when you think about Olympians and the hard work that they do and the strength training and the denial and, and, and the conditioning, and there's a lot about that that's not very enjoyable, but they have a goal in mind. And so, Father, may we embrace, as Your Holy Spirit gives us leadership and guidance, fasting in our lives at whatever level we can practice it, as often as You call us to practice it, with our prayer, praying that, Lord God, this will add power, umph, energy, urgency, earnestness, desire to our praying. Then in God, when that happens, we will see the breakthroughs that we've been so longing to see. Stir something in our hearts and lives today. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.